shaking and and not able to be successful in anything I do based on the trauma that we went through as a family. I have two children, my son Jay and my daughter Shaylee. They live up in Oklahoma City and visit about once a month. My divorce was not easy on my children, particularly since I was in medical school at that time. First year of medical school, you would have been 14. I purposefully would, would pick. I have a test to study for tomorrow. My daughter has a game. But there were times when I had to say, I have to study or I'm going to fail. And then this whole thing will be for nothing. So I don't, I don't look back and, and think, wow, I, I wish you would have spent more time with us. Because you, you, <coughs> you were able to balance you know, school and work and family time really well on something that I really uh, aspire to. I don't feel that way. You don't feel that? You feel like you, tell you, the you truth. I just left you? Not left. You <laughs> obviously were doing something that is fr fruitful now, but yeah, I wish okay. that we had more time with you. Yeah. I did kind of feel like I was Jay's mom at some points. I would make food for us and hang out with us and I'd no, pretend to be his teacher. Home. Yeah, homeschool. I guess we didn't realize at the beginning how hard and how much time it was going to take, so. Becoming a doctor and being a doctor has definitely come with sacrifices. My daughter doesn't believe in God. Had I known that the result of me becoming a physician was going to result in her not having faith, then to me that decision is easy, and in a heartbeat I would have dropped my pursuit of my career. I started like questioning when I was 11, so it's been a long time. Um, and then kind of just went in and out of it and then just don't believe, so. And you're at peace with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. Because <laughs> I'm going to hell. Well. <laughs> but I don't, I, I'm not like trying to convert her and be like, no, there is no God, mom. Stop believing what you believe. But I also want the same, you know, respect. Yeah, but I'm your mother. Yeah. Knowing that Shaylee doesn't believe like me doesn't make me love her less. In fact, it makes me more compassionate for her, more like I want her to have what I have. As a parent, at some point you you say, okay, I've I've trained, I've given, I've I hope, and then ultimately they're another person that makes their own choices. In medicine, it is a sacrifice. It just is. We sacrifice all kinds of things to be doctors.
consider us their enemy. According to them, we brought the disease into the community. Maybe they see a kind of invasion coming from others to implement the Ebola response. So the starting point is uh, that we have initiated community dialogue. You have to convince them to trust you. Conseille pas la quarantaine pour Ebola. Que lorsqu'on impose la quarantaine, les gens se cachent, les gens fuient. Quand une personne qui a touché une personne positive fuit, donc la personne va mourir, mais avant de mourir, va contaminer aussi plusieurs personnes. With this kind of outbreak, we can count on science, we can count on medicines, but we cannot count on human behavior. We cannot predict how people will react. Guys, he travels a lot, and since he's Lebanese, he doesn't have a lot of friends in Egypt. The people coming today are his co-workers. My co-workers in Egypt are like family. We've known each other for more than 10 years now. We have a shared common goal, which is to save lives. And one of our recent tests shows signs that there is a potential influenza case back here in Cairo. Yeah. 
عندنا احنا في السيرفيلانس في عندنا السيرفيلانس باص عالي؟ اتش فايف اتش فايف كان 20% تقريبا 20% عادي جدا مالك مختار؟ Yes, he's saying go get some water. He's talking about it's twenty percent of people that have gotten the flu in Egypt. Started moving out from China and going elsewhere in the world through wild bird migration. Soon after that, Morris started crossing from the migratory birds to domestic poultry. Infected birds have been culled. The virus has shown up in almost half of Egypt's 26 provinces. Workers in the Egyptian Health Ministry's central lab are checking throat swabs from people who may have been exposed. And very soon after, we started getting human infections. Since the disease was so new to us, there were no protocols in place to fight it. It was never really controlled. And if you look at the data, Egypt had the most human infections with H5N1. So Egypt became what is known as a hotspot. The H5N1 outbreak in Egypt was a game changer for surveillance. It's our job to make sure it doesn't happen again. Amalna sequence save min sample or lesa amalna shay sequence pass. Ah, la the ahnam the awakhir season late night. Ah, fi 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 haga sasa. administer the vaccine to pigs and over the course of a few months determine the most effective dose. Here, I, I just have a way that I want to do it. We know Cenivax works in pigs. Getting it to work in fewer shots will be a big deal. But getting it to work in just one shot will be a massive success. We have seven groups of pigs. One group is a negative control that receives salt water. One group is a positive control that contains a seasonal vaccine that pigs would normally receive. Five groups are getting different doses of Centivax. Good? Yeah. Okay. This group of pigs holds the biggest promise for us. Let's proceed. I'll go start listening up the lab. We inject them with the blue virus that we've created in the lab that is inactive and won't make them sick. But their immune systems will respond to it just like it is the flu. While we're anticipating the results of this test, we're still nervous about our funding going forward. We expected to hear back from the Gates Foundation this month so that we could move on to human clinical trials. We haven't heard anything. So we're certainly getting a little anxious. 
whether or not we get that money. Right now, we need to focus on this project. to get quarantine brother <laughs> attention all staff attention all staff hold e. attention all staff hold e. oh wow okay so what they doing because he came through um the front door what are they doing is quarantine the entrance where he came in and the things that he had touched all these types of diseases that are going to come knocking at our doors. So what we're practicing today is on Ebola virus disease. We are in currently the second biggest outbreak of Ebola virus disease in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. This is this is real life. So, what's going on is we're just going to ask just to stay a little feet apart, okay? At least six feet. So it's just safety precautions for you and for everyone around you. Okay, just to make sure everything is okay. We're gonna go around the building. There'll be some nurses and doctors in there. They're gonna be wearing some big old plastic suits. It might look a little scary. Don't be scared. Attention, please. Code E, all the nurses, please come inside. Oh, wow. Poppers, normal, all the normal PP for uh, for Ebola transports, okay? Right. 
If you guys are comfortable and ready to accept the patient, I'll let Coney Island know, and uh, the patient will be out momentarily. They're coming out. These types of cases require a very large response. This is really one patient. If there was a pandemic flu, you would most likely have a much higher patient care count, and uh, you would need more hands on deck. The funds that we use for maintaining readiness will stop by 2020 if funding is not reissued. We may have to cut from the programs and activities that we do if we don't have that money. And if we can't keep up with this training and maintaining readiness in general, then we're risking more lives. So okay. it, it doesn't seem to be an infection. The one thing that I can't do that I think you need is an ultrasound. Like if you were to have a blood clot in your leg, the test of choice is that ultrasound. Is there any way I could stay here? Probably not. But I can talk to the and the reason for that is that we don't do dialysis. Right. So if we got if you were here for more than two days, you're gonna need dialysis. Okay. Yeah. Well let's get to the end of what we're doing. Okay. okay. Let's just figure out what's going on. I love my patients, so it's really hard to sometimes not have all the resources that they need. I've never ran a hospital before. Uh, when I interviewed with the board, the hospital was not in very good shape, knew it was going to be a challenge. We had a physician, Dr. Lensman, uh, who was here for a long time. His saying was, all I've got is an EKG machine, a stethoscope, and a Bible. Hi, this is Richard from the hospital. How are you? Good. Is Mr. Simmons available? Thank you. We had $2.2 million in debt, and uh, we did not have the money to uh, service that debt. Mr. Simmons, Richard from the hospital. How are you? We've been re receiving a one cent sales tax in this county, but this sales tax is due to expire this year. And that, that money went to do, support the operations of the hospital. Would it be out of line for me to ask for like a public service announcement to remind the teachers and the uh, non-professional staff to go vote? And so um, there was a concerted effort uh, to mount a, a countywide vote to extend or renew the sales tax. 11 hospitals in Oklahoma have closed in, a, in the last two years. Wow. That, that is a trend nationally, that rural hospitals are closing. The doors are shut at the Pauls Valley Regional Medical Center. The Norman Hospital is closing down, giving employees almost no notice. In the wake of a statewide healthcare budget crisis, another hospital closes its doors. The pace of the closures has only escalated in recent years. And the National Rural Health Association says more than 280 hospitals with 700,000 patient visits are at risk of shutting down. Debbie, Richard, how are you doing today? In 2015, yeah. Jefferson County was uh, the most unhealthy county in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, so if the hospital were to close, it would be a huge impact. I was just calling to remind you to get out there and vote. Uh, hopefully the, it all turns out positive.
violence and mistrust are seriously hampering efforts to contain this outbreak. Ebola treatment centers like this one are often attacked by militia groups and people are either too scared or too suspicious to seek medical help. The longer this outbreak rages on, the higher the risk of it spreading globally. Most of my colleagues, including myself, we are quite determined. We want to stop this virus. Concernant les zones opérationnelles, comme je l'ai dit, nous avons enregistré 11 cas d'incidents, mais cette fois-ci avec violence. Pas plus tard qu'hier, il y a une équipe qui est tombée dans une embuscade, deux véhicules caillassés. Tant qu'on ne contrôle pas les grands hotspots, on ne peut pas être sûr du contrôle dans les autres zones qui étaient sous contrôle il y a quelques temps. Nous continuons à avoir des cas. Hier, nous avions sept, sept cas. Nous devons euh, ajuster un peu notre leadership au niveau de Boutembo. Donc au niveau de Boutembo, euh, je vais prendre un peu la relève en termes de coordination. While my team are taking a lot of risks in a dangerous place, I have to be there with them. If the uh, situation uh, was, it could be the case that uh, we totally have to move out. We are Oui, oui. Oui, oui. But it would be really the last option because moving out is, is mean that they're leaving Ebola. The only objective is to save the population from uh, Ebola. At the end of the day, we have an absolute ethical and moral imperative to make sure that we do that. And inevitably, that requires people going to areas that are not safe. It's like a soldier where you can lose your friends, but you have to move toward the victory. And we have no option but moving toward this victory. This is one of our most important experiments yet because it will determine whether our vaccine can be delivered in fewer doses to pigs. We know how easily things can get messed up, especially if we're doing it in multiple languages. 
and it's loud and the pigs are kind of grunting and crying. There's a thousand ways that we could achieve a negative result or a poor result. And it's nerve wracking. That's why we have this methodical way where either Diego or Juan will hold the pig, or both of them will hold the pig. And then Karina will wipe the dirt off the ear tag and she will read it verbally, say the number, and then I will read it and then I will say the number. And then we'll look in each other's eyes and make sure that we both said the same number. And then usually I'll go tell Jake, hey, it's number 52. And it's like 52, and I say, yes, 52. And then he goes and grabs number 52. And I look at it and I read 52. And I take the cap off and I hand it to Karina for all 35 pigs. So our work here in Guatemala is basically over. And we are going to fly back to San Francisco. So the next step is we wait. I will be back here in three weeks. We will begin pulling blood out of the animals, sending it back to the lab and beginning to determine how their bodies are responding to the vaccine. We might get lucky and see the kind of response that we need after one shot. And if we achieve this in pigs, it will be a huge step towards our goal of a post-pathogen humanity. Now they are back in Egypt. Every now and then we at their research center for biohazard um, in our region. Medical center, you guys. And now we have confirmed the presence of an avian influenza virus here in Cairo. We don't know how severe it is how pathogenic it can be, and so we're really interested in trying to understand as much as possible about it. The outcome could be a novel virus that we do not know about in the animal population, and so we do not know how severe it would be in the human population. it becomes a little bit personal when it's in your own backyard. A city like Cairo 
with a big population with this close and intimate interaction between its people means that the virus is going to be spreading rapidly. What worries me about my family is when these viruses are out of the community and my family would be part of that community. Another influenza pandemic. If you ask any influenza scientist, they tell you it's coming. We don't know which virus is going to cause it. We don't know when it's going to happen. So the only thing we can do is just keep an eye on things. You have to do your surveillance. You have to be prepared. And you have to do the science. They say in August 2019, there have been no new positive cases of the H1N, but now they have uh, went back to Oklahoma Community Medical Center and they're asking people to vote. Whether they want to continue a 1% sales tax that goes toward the Jefferson County Hospital. A few years ago, the hospital in Jefferson County nearly closed after going around $2.2 million in debt. This is coming up for a vote when five rural hospitals in Oklahoma had to close their doors due to financial problems over the past nine years. Today, this county is having a vote to extend the tax that supports this hospital. In my mind, if it doesn't pass, everything would completely just fall apart. Of course, nobody likes to pay taxes. When the initial straw poll was taken, there was 100 of them, 51 were yes, 41 were undecided, and, and nine were no. We have limited resources, but you have to invest in this facility and provide health care services within the county and the communities. I took an oath, and the oath was to protect and serve the people of Jefferson County. The average person in Jefferson County is probably making about 18000 a year. We're an agricultural community. There's not a lot of money in that. The sales tax is what drives everything for this community. And uh, it's just not enough. You know, everything's divvied up according to necessity and need. Every department struggles. Every area of county government is trying. It is a challenge. It's, uh, there are days that you scratch your head and say, how are we going to make it? The average person in our community, they don't understand that there's times that I pay out of my pocket for fuel in our vehicles. They just know that when they call, we come. A vote was presented to continue paying on a debt we had for our county hospital. It's a good thing that we're supporting our hospital or taking care of it, but we also need, we need fire service, we need ambulance service, uh, we need law enforcement. We even need my dog Joe, you know, to help with, with our mission. Uh, there's so many avenues that finances can help in a rural community that what takes priority? And that's, that's quite a challenge. These votes are very important. They affect more than people realize. How you doing, Robert? 
I know we've been dealing with medical stuff with you. Your your blood pressure has been high. Our problem is, is you know, I'm only budgeted so much money. Yep. Uh, we don't have a way to get you the medication you need. Yep. Uh, Robert, I don't want you to have the issues you're having, but I'm also, my hands are tied on, on how I can help you. Anything you want to tell me or talk to me about? No, I just need to get that medication. I know you do. And don't have the money to do it? I know. I wish that the state would give us something to, yeah. to take care of you guys better. Didn't mean to get you upset, Bubba. He has no plan. He has no insurance. He has nothing. But we have $38 in our medical account. And it's not easy. Okay, did we figure anything out on Grant's appointment? Yes, we did. Dr. Zagorecki, they're just going to call in his prescriptions until we can, if they can get him on some emergency aid. Okay, thank you. Yes, sir. We need a hospital. This is Dr. Gorecki. If you start taking things away from a rural community like this, before long it dries up and blows away. With that being said, we're maxed out on our tax base, but it's still not enough. And that is hard because there's nothing else to pull from. Mm. It's an issue that needs to be addressed statewide. I'm hoping that we see some changes. for very long without the support of its of its people we still face so many difficulties here but this small win is still a victory to celebrate for our community you guys I'm gonna take a break here and go to the next episode I think this is very important some may not but 
you know, um, God don't want us to be so spiritual that we know earthly good. And I've watched when tragedy and natural disasters hit our communities. Um, sad to say, even the saints, the body of Christ, don't know how to react properly. And I believe the reason why is because no one is not really taking time out to train, to teach and train uh, even the body of Christ how to be a better servant through natural disasters and, and, and outbreaks that are happening and unforeseen things that will occur. Um, it might be far-fetched, but I feel in my spirit that this is what God wants me to do. I, I asked him about some other things and what he have in need for me to do for the kingdom and with the little minor things that I'm dealing with, it always come back um, to human awareness. Yes, we are spiritual beings, but human awareness. How can we be a better warriors and soldiers um, to those that are in panic? Those that have fear, uh, <laughs> it, it makes no sense if um, we going through an epidemic and somebody that's in faith have more fear than a person without faith. <laughs> um, so I am like posting um, different documentaries, um, the things that they have to deal with behind the scenes. What's happening in, in in behind what we are actually seeing on the local screen, and to help you even get with your family, and and to understand if this really happened, how would you react? Do you have, you know, let's say have hurricane awareness? Okay, yeah. So we go run to the store. We go run to the store. We go get the bread and the water, the canned goods, the flashlights, um, the batteries, the candles. Okay, so how are you protecting yourself? Is somebody in the family have a shotgun? Do somebody have a, a some type of um, security system that's physical that can protect yourself? Because people will go wild. People will come and break into your safe haven and come in and literally ravish and steal your stuff from you. Um, do you have a generator? Um, do you have some type of mechanism that if somebody is sick in your family, do you have an extra supply of medicine? Do you have first aid? You know, just stuff like that, just to keep. Um, I think several years ago, I told my children, everybody should have an emergency bag packed. And you need, every three months, you need to update your food in there, make sure your clothes in there. By me, my transition, I have to make sure that I update my stuff. I know um, within a year, I have not changed none of my stuff, so I need to take out that old food and put some new food in there. I have at least two weeks of uh, underwear, clothes, something warm. Mosquitoes, I mean, just like when I'm traveling international, I have in this bag flashlight, 
um, not just regular flashlights, but the flashlights that last for almost, what, seven days. Um, you know, uh, purification tablets just in case you run out of water and you got to go and get other water where at least you have the tablets that can purify that water for you because you're going to, your body, you can live uh, at least three days without food, maybe longer than that. As long as you have some water, you know, have you ever thought about that? You know, we, we, we get stuck with all this other stuff and, and it's not no doomsday preaching, but you know, look at what's happening now. I'm going to tell you guys right now was in my spirit and as a, as a, as a uh, prophetic person, we're going to go through something in the next couple of years. And I've been saying it the last three years. Um, testing is already happening right before your eyes and you don't even know it. Even with the technology, with your phones, you know, when that service go out, when that power go out, it ain't just going out, just going out. They are testing people. They're doing major testing to see how stuff will work. You know, so, you know, after we finish preaching at one another and regurgitating each other messages and dancing and hollering and screaming all over the place and you're still dealing with situations, when that big situation happened, how would you handle it? That's, that's, I mean, how would you handle it? Do you have a family escape plan? If your family's all over, do you guys have a meeting place? If something really go down... Do you have a meeting place? Do you have a timeline? Do you have a code? My children make joke of it in that family, but I mean, things can happen. You know, I wanted to joke with my other daughter. I I I texted her and called her to see if she was home because um, I had got off the bus and I had felt weird. And I looked back and they had somebody following me. And I said, well, hmm, I think I should just go ahead by my daughter's house because I wasn't that far away from her house and just wait till in the morning and go home. And she never answered the call. You know, praise God for my angels, but suppose that would have been my last, my last day of living on this earth. You know, sometimes we do take things for granted. We don't really be conscious enough to understand. That's why if people call me or whatever, I let them know, look, I'm on a bus. What's going on? Text me. Let me know what's going on. I won't be able to hear you. I would strive to, to, to contact you as soon as possible, but it's very rare that anybody come and check up on me. But at least you will hear from me because I'm checking up on you. <laughs> you see? You see how that goes? So, on the next episode, um, this was just, um, it started out with a young man. Um, it was a drill. Okay, it was a drill that this person um, came from Dominican Republic. And that was, what, three years ago when they had the OB. Or Ebola um, scares, and um, then it actually happened. So they dressed. There was calm, 
Uh, I felt they wasn't moving fast enough because he stood in the vicinity too long before they really began to secure the area. Uh, that's the only thing I saw. But you can always go on YouTube and Google it and sit there with your family and go through it and, and ask the questions and let the children, even the younger ones, sit down and ask the questions and, and, and see if they know what to do and what you would do and what as a family, uh, even as a community, even as a church, how would you handle certain situations like, oh, I just feel the power of God me talking about this. You know, how would you handle a, a situation like this beyond a natural disaster like a hurricane or earthquake, and even with the fires and stuff? How would you handle a situation like this without panicking? Okay? All right, you guys. This is Dr. Leave the Boom Factor coming to you live, expounding on what would you do through a outbreak within your community. Okay?